seen great opposition from the outside. Today, there is a focus on a particular kind of struggle that existed then and exists today. And the root cause of this conflict is finances. And so I believe that it still happens today that, that the enemy can use selfishness to cause conflict, whether that's between husbands and wives or between employer and employee, whatever he can do, he will attempt to accomplish division, disunity, and conflict over money. Lives have been divided, families have been divided, churches have been split over conflict, over finances. This series has been entitled Recipe for Recovery, and I think you'll agree with me, the recovery that we are experiencing as a nation has as a very vital part of the recovery process an economic recovery. What took place on September the 11th devastated us not just in buildings and in bodies, but it has devastated us also in our billfold. And you know as well as I do that there are, are there's action being taken by our Congress and uh, it's been difficult. Economic recovery is, is a very vital part of the recipe for recovery. It's true here in this passage. That's exactly what we see as the chapter opens. There, there's a cry. Look at verse 1 with me. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against the Jewish brothers. They were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order for us to eat and stay alive. We must get grain. They had been devastated. And for a number of years, there had been developing an economic crisis. The crisis was heightened by the fact that they were taken away from their fields uh, and their work in order to build the wall. So they have given full time and attention. If you recognize and remember, a week ago, they didn't even take off their clothes. They were so engrossed in the building of that wall that they slept in their clothing. They did not even undress. They were on guard and they stayed in their clothing night and day. They were unable to work their fields. This was a time of economic emergency. Others were saying, we have mortgaged our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during this famine. Still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are the same flesh and blood as our countrymen and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. There was an economic crisis. There was a conflict taking place here. And there was a great outcry that having to do with opportunists in the midst of this disaster and recovery process. I want you to notice something as we open the scriptures that deal with this area of of finance or material possessions, God's attitude, I believe, gets misrepresented. I think at times any mention of these kinds of things develop an attitude in us because they've been presented the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. God has a very specific attitude. I want you to see it. It's that second verse, Psalm 35, 27. 
it says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, The Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You will search throughout the scripture. You will not find one attack on anyone for having the blessing of God or, or being rich. You will not find one attack on people for having possessions. It just isn't there. That is not God's attitude. He delights to bless. And he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You need to understand that it is the devil who tries to paint God in a particular way that uh, he somehow would withhold. He will withhold no good thing from them that walk uprightly before him. Give, he says, and it shall be returned unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will he return it unto your bosom. He delights to bless. And you will read this book from cover to cover. You will not find one attack on people because they have possessions. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Those who are a part of his righteous cause. It is not money that is the root of all evil. There was a, a statement George Bernard Shaw said, it is the lack of money that's the root of all evil. And uh, some would agree with that and say amen. But uh, the word of the Lord said, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Why is that true? What makes that so wrong? Let me explain something to you. That breaks the first commandment of God. When Jesus asked the young man about the commandments, what are the greatest? It is thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And if we love money, then we have made an idol, and we have misplaced or we have displaced God. We are serving mammon. Man cannot serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other, or he will embrace one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and mammon. That's why it is the root of all evil, because it is an idol. Greed is an idol. And so you can read that in the Scriptures and understand the reason that love of money is the root of all evil is that it is it violates the very highest commandment of all. You're to love him with all your heart. You can't give your heart to possessions and be serving God. And the Lord knows if you're looking to money to be your security and you're looking to that to be your safety, your salvation, you're going to be disappointed. So that's why he brings us back to reality and loving the Lord. He is our security. He is our safety. He is our satisfaction. When you read Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you know Solomon, who was a pretty wise man. He was the wealthiest man and the wisest man. So when he speaks about material things, it's time to take notes. And he says, He that loveth money shall not be satisfied with money, nor he that loveth increase. It will, does not have the power to satisfy you. It just is impossible to satisfy you. But there is one who can and one who does, and that's the Lord Jesus. So please understand something. When we talk from the Word of God, 
He never is a stingy God. He is never, he is never upset because you're blessed. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And when we have the right attitude toward this, God knows he can trust us. He continues to bless us. The problem that exists in this passage, the cause of conflict, if you're filling in the blanks here, Nehemiah 5, 5, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and daughters to, the, to be servants. Some of our daughters are already brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. Talking about bondage today and freedom. Right under that, fill in the blank, it is Satan's desire to bring us into bondage. It is the Savior's desire for our freedom. This includes financial freedom. It is the enemy's design to enslave, to bring us into bondage. That's the threat that is being used at this moment to stop the progress of recovery. And that is to bring them into bondage. It's still Satan's strategy to, to make put you in such debt that you're in bondage. God has a better plan. God has a better plan. He brings us into freedom. And that involves financial freedom as well. When this information was brought to the attention of Nehemiah, I want you to notice his the cure for conflict, his reaction in verse 6. When I heard their outcry and their charges, I was very angry. Underline very I was very angry. Some things ought to make us angry. Sin ought to make us angry. I think we can become so desensitized to sin. We see it so much. We see it so often. We can look at it and look away, and it has absolutely no impact upon us because we have already accepted it as the norm. I don't think we can afford as a church, as a people, to come to the point where we are so spiritually desensitized to the brutality, to the murder, to the violence, to the corruption, to the pollution, that it doesn't anger us, doesn't upset us, that we can sit and laugh at what the world is portraying. I think we need to be sensitized and it ought to outrage us. We need to hate that which is evil, abhor that which is evil, and cleave to that which is good. It ought to anger us. It ought to upset us. There's no tolerance for it in our life. He became very angry at the disunity and disharmony that was being created as a result of this conflict. The second, verse 7, reflection. Reflection, I pondered them in my mind. There's a real principle here for us. Anger is a legitimate emotion that God created in us to be an appropriate response to wrong. It is an appropriate emotional response to wrong. But two wrongs don't make a right. So be angry and what? Sin not. And we can do that if we act before we take time to think about what God wants us to do. 
We will act in an inappropriate way. We will not solve the problem. We will create more of a problem if we let the anger move us and motivate us before we take time to do what Nehemiah did and ponder what he was to do. I pondered them in my mind. How many times we've gotten ourselves into further conflict in our family when we spoke before we thought about what we were going to say. Tongue in gear before mind is engaged. And we say, after it is all over, oh God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? I didn't even mean that. Well, you couldn't prove it by her. You couldn't prove it by him. Because in our anger, we spoke in our haste. Take time to do what he did. Reflect and then respond according to the principles of the word. Rebuke. Again, verse 7. Then accused the nobles and officials. I told them you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. This was in direct contradiction to the word of God. He was not going to approach them on the basis of his own philosophy, his own ideas, his own opinions, but he took them right to the word, right to the scripture. He, he said, I want to tell you it's wrong and I want to tell you where you can find it. In Exodus 22:25, the word of the Lord is very clear in that passage that they were not to extract. Let me read it to you should perhaps be on the screen for us. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him no interest. So they were in violation of the law of God. God spoke to Moses. Moses wrote it down, left it as a law for the people. People that are in need, he says, you are to lend them money interest-free. Now these were opportunists. You see, they were in a position, they had a little bit of money, and these people had absolutely no way of getting food. Okay, I'll take your land off your hands for, for some money. I'll give you some grain instead. So these people had lost their vineyards, they'd lost their homes, they'd lost their land. In fact, they had come to the point where they had nothing left to barter, so they gave their children into bondage just to put food on the table. This was an economic emergency. And so this angered Nehemiah and he said, here's what we're going to do. He brought a resolution and restitution to bear. And I want you to follow with me if your Bible is open. Verse 10, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes, and also the usury, the interest you've been charging them, the tenth part of the money, grain, and new wine, and oil. I want you to make restitution. That's not a truth that you hear much preached anymore today. It's just, Lord, forgive me, for what I've done wrong, that clears me between you and me. Just We'll just forget about it. 
But there is a truth in the Word of God that says not only do we need to repent and ask God to forgive us what we've done wrong, we need to make it right. Make it right. Do you remember the story of, of Nicodemus or of Zacchaeus when Jesus asked him to come down from the tree, went home with him that day, salvation came to his house. He said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to return to everybody I've cheated fourfold. Jesus said, you really got saved. Today, salvation has come to your house. It's not enough to acknowledge to the Lord what you've done wrong. You need to make it right. If you have violated someone else, you need to respond in restitution and make it right. And they did. This is a... This is a pastor's delight, verse 12. We will give it back. And we will not demand anything more of them. We will do as you say. Now that's a tremendous altar call right there. When you get people to hear the word of God and say, you know what? I accept that. I receive that. I believe that. It's going to cost me a ton. But you know what? I'm going to give it. I'm going to do just like you said. That property, that house, that vineyard. Those kids, I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to make restitution. I took it in a way that was contrary to the word of God. I recognize that. I receive that. I accept that. And I am going to, even though it cost me something, I'm going to make it right. And salvation came to the household. I'm going to do what you said. Preach that sermon. And, and they said, hey, you know what? You're right. I accept it. I receive it. I wasn't planning to share this today, but it came to my mind during the early service. Some of you have heard this before, but those of you that are new, let me share this with you. When I was growing up, when my dad got saved, and especially when he was seeking the Lord for the fullness of the Spirit, God dealt with his heart. And my mom went to set the table one evening, and she opened the cupboard to get out the dishes and we had had these dishes for so long. We had large, heavy mugs, coffee mugs, the kind you get in the restaurant. You know what kind of mean, the heavy ones? And they weren't there. And my mom said, what happened? I mean, they had been there so long, she thought they were ours. When my dad came home, she asked him about him. He just kind of with a grin on his face. You see, he worked at the Selenese factory, and every day he would take one of those mugs, put it in his lunchbox, and bring it home. Until we had enough for the whole family. But when he got saved, they disappeared. He took them back to the cafeteria. Gave them to the lady in charge and said, these don't belong to me. I have had them. I took them. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He's convicted me of what I've done, and I'm returning these. She looked at him like he had three heads. Never seen it like that before. They were tools that I had become accustomed to seeing on his workbench in the garage. They became, they had also disappeared. Tools that you could put threads on a pipe with pipe threading machines, they were gone, they were back, took them in to his boss and said, you know what, I've had these, 
that I've become a Christian, I've received Jesus as my Savior, any, any uh, retribution that I have coming, I'll take willingly because I took these and it didn't belong to me, I'm returning them. And he got the same stare from his boss that he got from a lady at the lunch stand. What am I saying? I'm saying that when Jesus comes in, it's not just only that I make things right between myself and him, but if I need to make it right with you. That's what Nehemiah called upon them to do. Don't exact any usury. Stop this. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses. We will do this. We will not demand anything more of them. Then I summoned the priest. He said, I, I just want to kind of make you accountable. And if in any recovery process you need this, you need accountability, the, the chances of your recovery are enhanced greatly if you have someone you can be accountable to. Someone that will ask you the tough questions, that will stand beside you and hold you accountable for doing what you promised you would do. And so he did that in this clinic on conflict resolution and in recovery. The nobles, the officials, took an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, This is what may, may God shake out this house and possessions. Every man who does not keep this promise, so may such a man be shaken out and empty. At this the whole assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Wonderful. Hallelujah. That's real recovery. When we move in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in line with the word of God. Say amen to what he says to us and worship him, not reluctantly, not because we have to, but praising him, praising him, worshiping him. I think the, the most important part of the resolution of this is found in these last two verses at the bottom of the page. Verse 9, so I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I, I don't know that there's any other really legitimate motivation for doing what we just talked about. If we do it for any other reason, I think it's, it's an unscriptural reason. Let's do what we do or not do what we don't do because we fear God. Not because of external pressure, not because of peer pressure, not because of reputation, but because we fear the Lord. Let that be the reason that we do it. Verse 15, but the earlier governors that preceded me placed a heavy burden on the people took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act 
like that. What was the motivation of Nehemiah? The motivation that I need for me and want for me and want for you. I didn't act like that. King James said, so did not I because of the fear of the Lord. What keeps you from doing what the devil tempts you to do? I don't want to get caught. No. Even if no one ever caught you, he would see you. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had that same philosophy. I refrain not because of any other reason, but because I want to please him. I don't want to displease him. So the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let them be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And he says, I want to appeal to you, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? That's, that's what I really believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, to me this morning, is that the motivation for all choices, decisions, let it be based walking in the fear of of God. He said, I could have, but I didn't. I didn't act like the predecessors. I was the governor. I could have extorted. I could have extracted. I could have bought land. But I didn't. And the reason is very clear. This is kind of nice. I'm going to finish with this. Verse 15, but the earlier governors, those that preceded me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels, silver, in addition, food and wine. Their assistants lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled with them at the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came from out of town. Each day one ox, six sheep, poultry were prepared for me every ten days an abundant supply of wine and all kinds of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allot allotted to the governor because the demands were so heavy upon the people. What was he saying? I'm not just telling you what you ought to do. That's the way I'm living. I'm going to lead you by example. It's not, you do this and live a different way. But he was modeling for them what he wanted them to do. So did not I because of the fear of God. How would you like to have 150 plus people every night for lunch? And to prepare the meal, one ox and six sheep, poultry, and the fixings. 150 plus whoever they wanted to invite from out of town. And he did that. Not extracting anything from the people because he knew they already had a heavy burden on them. Why? Why, Nehemiah? Have respect for God. I reverence God. I fear God. I fear God. What a model. <laughs> what, a, what a model. 
God resolved the conflict when he dealt with the selfishness and models sacrifice. You get the message? The temptation in your home and mine will be towards selfishness. That will lead to bonding. I wish I had another hour because this issue we focused on only one of the problems today. But it's not the only one. Richard Foster has offered a book, Money, Sex, and Power. And he personifies money with the word mammon. And uh, identifies the fact that as a god it seeks to dominate us. And he goes from that to sex and influence that all appeal to self and selfishness and they seek to dominate us. That translates into slavery and bondage. I watched CTV last night and it was a tremendous program, Escaping the Porn Trap, Tom Lane and Marriage in the Family magazine. And there's just a series of testimonials and people that deal in, this, in these areas that appeal to selfishness. Selfishness that leads to sin, sin that leads to slavery. And I would be a fool not to believe there are people in this room who are slaves to sin today. Slaves. You can't free yourself. No matter how you try. But there's a recipe for recovery. And it's in the Word of God. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I sat there, and in my spirit, I was saying yes. Instead of taking that and filling your mind with that negative, you can take something positive. This book is powerful. And when I heard him say that, I said, Amen in my spirit. When you take the word of God, it's quick and powerful. It sets up a warfare against that spiritual warfare, principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. This word is alive. You fill your word. Think on these things. You see, you can't overcome it. You can replace it. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Hallelujah. That it is available to you. Now listen to the one man. Let me just give you one quote. The Lord began to change my mind as he began to clean out the garbage. And I thought, boy, is that Nehemiah. That's Nehemiah chapter 4. We talked about taking out the trash. He changed my mind by cleaning out the garbage. Introduce the word. Think on these things. Replace the law of replacement. You can't. You'll be overcome with evil unless you overcome evil with good. Selfishness or sacrifice? Choice is ours. We're going to be affected 
by two supernatural forces and we have to make the choice to fear God. Father, I pray that you will minister to us today.